Bill O'Reilly here. Welcome to the No Spin News for Tuesday, September 14th, 2021. Stand up for your country. So President Biden on his way back to Washington from California after giving a little uh, speech uh, to try to aid Gavin Newsom. The recall is today. We'll have the story tomorrow um, and we'll walk through a little bit of it uh, a little bit later on. But the president stops off in Denver which is a blue state now. It was red when I lived there. Uh, bipartisan infrastructure, build back better, you know, the usual jazz. Um, but the Democrats have to keep uh, Colorado in the blue camp. And, you know, there's a strong Republican base out there. So that's what that's all about. It doesn't mean anything. Um, but he is stopping, and then he'll be back later tonight on the East Coast. Last night, he stayed at the Westin Long Beach Hotel in California. I was curious about where he was going to stay. On many trips, uh, presidents stay in private homes. Um, I wanted to see maybe he was in George Clooney's house or something. Uh, but he was at the Westin Long Beach. I guess he got points. He get little Westin points for that? I don't know. All right, so um, in the recall situation, um, all the polls say Newsom's going to prevail, but you know, it depends on the turnout. However, the strategy is that Newsom uh, raised about $72 million. He can buy TV ads all over the place. And the theme of the ads is that Larry Elder, the talk show host who would probably take over for a Newsom if Newsom were recalled, is really Donald Trump. And that's what President Biden picked up on. Go. The leading Republican running for governor is a uh, the closest thing to a Trump clone that I've ever seen in your state. No, I really mean it. And uh, he's leading the other team. He's the clone of Donald Trump. Can you imagine him being governor of this state? You can't let that happen. You're a spooky guy, Joe. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So Trump's the devil, and Elder is a Trump clone, and on and on and on and on. And the reason that, uh, Mr. Biden even went out there is to try to mobilize Democrats to vote, because the only thing that could really boot uh, Newsom out is if the Democrats don't show up, because the Republicans and the independents who don't like Newsom will. So that's what that was all about. All right, back in Washington, D.C., the $3.5 trillion spending bill championed by uh, the president and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, not going to happen, thank God. And two Democratic senators are the reason it's not going to happen. They are Joe Manchin of West Virginia. We dealt with him yesterday and Kristen Sinema from Arizona. They're not going to vote for this enormous socialistic bill. And remember, just always keep in mind when you hear infrastructure, now it's human infrastructure, all right? It's human in infrastructure. So it's not just build, building roads and bridges. It's giving folks free stuff. No say, and it's way beyond a safety net. It's a safety net is necessary in this country. You have to have it. So people fall on hard times and they get wiped out financially and, they, you know, bad things happen. You've got to have in a humanistic country you got to have a level of support for those who can't help themselves. But what we're in now, as everybody knows, is a socialist thing. And Biden, maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he's the only one who doesn't know. 
But anyway, what's likely to happen is that they're going to have uh, chats in the House and the Senate. They'll bring it down about 1.5. I think Cinema and Manchin could live with that. Um, and they'll cut out a lot of the human infrastructure stuff, you know, the freebies, the giveaways. That's probably what is likely to happen. But the corresponding tax rise is going to happen as well on corporations and people who are doing uh, well in America. And that tax rise in a delicate economy, which we're in, is going to hurt everybody. Everybody. I was reading an article today in the Wall Street Journal, which is a good, their editorial page is a good barometer of economics. It says, look, corporations are just the vessel. They're not going to pay uh, extra taxes that cuts into their profit margin. They just pass it along to consumer, whatever it is they make, whatever it is you want. So they got to pay 5% more to the feds. They're going to raise the prices 5%. And consumers don't have to buy the stuff. But in our society, you know, people, they want things. So that's what happens. Um, I don't know when the vote is going to be on this spending thing, but I do know it's a defeat for Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Ocasio-Cortez. They will be defeated. They're not going to get the record spending bill. And talking about Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, she shows up at the Met Gala in New York City last night. Now, the Met Gala is to raise money for the Museum of Art in New York City. And there she is, tax the rich, because everybody at this gala is rich. Why? It costs $35,000 to attend the gala, a piece. Okay, so if you are rich, you're not going to the gala. Now, she was invited, Cortez. She didn't pay, invited by some designer uh, who made the dress, and then she had printed on it, tax the rich. All right, so then she tweets out, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez does, the time is now for child care, health care, and climate action for all tax the rich, unquote. So, you know, she's a pure socialist. Some people call her a communist. I don't think she knows the difference. She went to Boston U, my alma mater, and um, I don't think the professors up there know the difference. So anyway, um, that was pretty interesting. And uh, got a lot of ink, which is what she wanted um, to bring socialism into your living room. Now, also at the Met Gala, but not inside, were Black Lives Matter. Let's hear it for them, ladies and gentlemen. So they were outside and they were screaming about the police being terrible. All right. So um, the demonstration was organized by uh, BLM, and they say policing does not protect and serve communities. And they were outside. Nine of them were arrested by the New York City Police Department. All right, so BLM on the outside, Ocasio-Cortez on the inside. Direction of the United States of America. Two polls. First one from Politico. Democrat 38, Republican 34, Independent 28, um, about 2,000 registered voters sample. All right. Is the USA heading in the right or wrong direction? Right direction, 37 percent. Wrong direction, 63 
Then same question from Rasmussen. Okay, this is 2,500 likely voters, Democrat 38, Republican 36, other 26. So these two polls at least had a Republican representation. All right, right direction, wrong direction, right direction, 34. Remember, Politico was 37 and wrong track, 61. Politico was 63. So obviously, most Americans uh, think the country is headed under the Biden administration in the wrong direction. So I read a column uh, this week by Doug Schoen. Uh, You may know him. He's a Democratic consultant. Um, And I had him on the factor a bunch of times when I worked at Fox. And he's the upcoming book author of America, Unite or Die, How to Save Our Democracy. That'll be out November 2nd. So Mr. Schoen joins us now from New York City. In this column, you say the Democrats are in big trouble, but isn't it too early to handicap the midterms? Couldn't Joe Biden make a comeback? Uh, Bill, it's always theoretically possible he could, of course. But the agenda he's pursuing is not a popular one for the reasons you were discussing. People don't like big spending and big taxing. It happened in 1994 and 2010. Both times the Republicans took over in the wake of very large tax increases as well. And I see the same thing happening here. And with the right track, wrong track numbers that you read, I think it's much more likely the Democrats lose both houses of Congress than they hold both houses or even hold one of two. My analysis is that Mr. Biden would have to do something heroic to write his image. So right now, his image, and I think this is accurate, is that he's a weak man being run by unnamed people inside the White House who are dedicated progressives. And then Biden is pretty much doing what they are telling him to do. Do you agree with that assessment? That is the perception. Yeah, I do agree with the perception. And I would also tell you I worked, as I think you know, Bill, for six years in the Clinton White House. So I got to know many of those so-called unnamed people. And let's just say uh, there are many things, but I would not call them in their approach to politics heroic. They're practical and they tend to take the path of least resistance, which is going left. And I think what we saw in Afghanistan, sadly and tragically for our country, was the opposite of heroic. Do you know who's running the show in the White House? I asked this question to Stephen Miller yesterday, the Republican. Sure. Uh, sure. Who is, do you know who's running the White House? I, I, I think the most influential and important person in the White House is Ron Klain, the chief of staff, who is a very smart, very able, very talented guy who is one who follows the uh, path of least resistance and I assume is the one trying to achieve consensus between the hard left, the far left, and the moderate left. But certainly Mr. Biden is as liberal as any president ever has been in the history of this republic. So you would have to say that Klain is a progressive if he's really in charge of shaping the message, right? I've known Ron Klain 25 years. Um, I can't sit here today and tell you what his personal worldview is, but I can say this. There is no evidence to me 
that Ron Klain or any of the other people around Joe Biden are resisting progressivism in any shape, manner, or form. It is how progressive is that agenda, not will it be a far-left uh, socialist agenda. Yeah, it is, but it is a far-left agenda that Mr. Biden has embraced uh, after a career of being a so-called moderate in the Senate. Now, um, yesterday, um, Miller said that Susan Rice, the top domestic advisor and the best friend of the Obamas, also has an enormous amount of power. Do you concur? I absolutely do concur. And I think she is the uh, principal architect and uh, uh, elaborator and strategist for the $3.5 trillion uh, human infrastructure agenda that you spoke about earlier, Bill. Okay. Uh, Barack Obama, do you think he's having input into uh, what Mr. Biden does? I think that the very fact that so many of his appointees are in prominent roles in this government suggests that his influence is either direct or indirect. And at a certain point in time, it doesn't matter which it is. But I think the simple answer to your question has to be yes. Okay. Now, on the COVID front, the mandates are now, if you believe the polls, 50-50. So 50% mm -hmm. of Americans don't mind being told you have yep. to get vaxxed. And 50% object, some of them vehemently. Is COVID at this point in history, today, Doug, hurting or helping Biden? I think from what we see with the approval numbers, it's probably hurting him marginally more than it's helping him. Now, that's an issue, Bill, to be fair, that will impact the elections based on where we stand a year or so from now, and we have no idea where that'll be. But that being said, there's a lot of anger on the center-right towards the mandates. My sense is that people who vote on the issue are at this point more angry about the mandates than those on the left are supportive of yeah, them. Yeah, they're, they're more mobilized, but it shakes down with independence. That's who's going to really decide the COVID issue. Correct. And I, I know what's going to happen, Doug. So you said nobody knows. I know, um, okay. which is why everybody watches me. So COVID, the case load is going to yep. subside. It has to. Mm -hmm. You got 75 percent mm -hmm. of the American public either full or partially vaxxed in another um, month, month and a half. That's going to be 75 percent to 80 fully vaxxed. OK, once you get the fully vaxxed with the people who already have had COVID and have the antibodies, then the nesting period has to subside. And that's what will happen. And of course, Biden will take credit for that. And that will be the theme of next year's political battle. Now, advancing the story, if you're right, and Joe Biden is perceived this time next year, September of 22, as being weak, befuddled, the economy's not doing well, because that could override COVID. The economy starts to deteriorate, which it is now, it's beginning, all right, then that's going to sink them. So let's assume you're right, and the Republicans take back the House and the Senate. What does that do for the United States? I think it puts us in a position where the Democratic Party 
will be in a position similar to where it was post-94 and plus 2010 with a presidency that is weakened, in Biden's case, potentially uh, irreparably. And I think it puts the United States in a position where we remain polarized, but we have um, the likely reemergence of Donald Trump as a candidate for the Republican nomination. But Biden himself will not be able to get any of his agenda through Congress, right? None of it. He'll run against Trump, as you saw and uh, reported earlier in uh, your No Spin News. Yeah, I'm not sure about the Donald Trump candidacy. I know he wants to run. He told me he did. And as you know, I'm going out with uh, the former president to do four um, major uh, history shows. And I'll get a a good idea of, you know, Mm -hmm. what his posture is, how he's going to present himself. But there is no question, and we're seeing it in California, that demonizing Donald Trump works in some independent precincts. Now, the Republicans, most still like Donald Trump. But it's going to be the independents in this country, as it always is, that really decide the presidency. So Biden, you know, I think he's looking forward to having Trump rather than a DeSantis or a Scott in South Carolina, where it's, it's harder to demonize them. Well, I think that's absolutely true. And you asked before what happens to the United States. And my answer is if we spend another two or three years fighting the same fights between Biden and Trump or Kamala Harris and Trump, I think we will all lose and it will be bad for our country, bad for our foreign policy. And one issue we haven't mentioned, but deserves, I think, at least brief uh, uh, reference is the southern border. Immigration. Biden's not going to do anything about the southern border. It's too late. I mean, he'd have to embarrass himself. Right. And and look, the media, the corporate media isn't covering the story. It had to cover Afghanistan because the pictures were so compelling coming out of there by the foreign news outlets, by the BBC and others. That's why the corporate media in America had to get involved. But they, they're covering up for Biden. Everybody knows they are. And they'll, that will continue. And they're salivating, Doug, at getting Donald Trump back into the arena. I mean, CNN, they're off the chart low ratings now. As soon as Trump gets in, they're going to triple their ratings. So is MSNBC. All the networks will, will basically rally around Biden. And so they're salivating for Trump. Is that a factor? I mean, it's a factor. But if, as you suggest, and as I believe, we have a weak economy, problems at the southern border, uh, the possibility of renewed terrorism and uncertainty, in our foreign policy with an assertive Russia and China, I think it's much more likely that notwithstanding the potential good news on COVID uh, a year from now, I think it's going to be a massive rebuke to my party based on everything I see and hear. Okay. Last question. Sure. Socialism. Now, Mm -hmm. the hardcore socialists have gained an enormous amount of power in the last two years. And they're just... You know, you can see how arrogant they are. You can see that Bernie Sanders attacking Manchin. And, and I mean, they're, I think they have peaked, but I could be wrong. What do you think? Inside the Democratic Party, I believe they have a substantial voice. 
And since we don't have bipartisanship, what the Biden administration is doing is virtually all their time is spent trying to consolidate a fractious party. As far as the electorate is gone, I think there is no real enthusiasm for socialism. And I think inside the Democratic Party, you may well be right, Bill, that if we have a historic defeat in the 2022 midterms and the Democrats take it on the chin, it may well be a recoil, rebound, backlash, whatever words you want against AOC, uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who do not speak for the broad mass of the American people. All right, Doug, thanks very much. We really appreciate it. When your book comes out, we'll have you back. And uh, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time. Thank you. And thank you so much, Bill, as always. Everything is expensive these days. You know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Syracuse University, big time school, big J school up there, journalism school. Uh, they got a professor up there. Um, her name is Jen Jackson, and she's the usual. Uh, she teaches gender studies, black feminist politics, qualitative methods, all of that. All right. So on 9-11, she uh, tweets out this. Put it up on a screen, please. We have to be more honest about what 9-11 was and is and what it wasn't. It was an attack on the heteropatriarchal capitalist systems that America relies upon to wrangle other countries into passivity. It was an attack on the system many white Americans fight to protect. Well, that is absolutely disrespectful. Um, it's another hate America diatribe. And the professor uh, got, got hammered on the internet, of course. So uh, then the president of Syracuse University, they call him the chancellor, had to issue a statement because a lot of people wanted Jen Jackson fired. The statement reads, some have asked the university to condemn the professor's comments and others have demanded the professor's dismissal. Neither of those actions will happen. As the home of the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs, free speech for all peoples across the political spectrum, within the limits of the law and the university's anti-harassment policy is one of our key values. Speech can be offensive, hurtful, or provocative. Still, Syracuse University will stand by the principles of free speech and our commitment to keeping our community safe in the, threats of, in the face of threats and harassment, unquote. 
Key is the anti-harassment policy of Syracuse University, which is if you um, criticize a minority or a progressive group, BLM, Black Lives Matter, okay, that's harassment. See, if you hammer your own country, as Professor Jackson did, that's okay. But if you come back and say that Professor Jackson is un-American and irresponsible and what the deuce is she doing, pushing a crazy agenda in the classroom, that's against the University of Syracuse policy. You can't do that. See what the game is here? It's rigged. So all you alumni of Syracuse University, note that the only way these schools will stop is for the alumni not to give donations. Donald Trump. Um, we spoke, you know, with Doug, and I thought that was a good interview with Doug Show. I hope you're getting a lot out of this. Miller last night, Stephen Miller, and I wanted to bring a Democrat in tonight, you know, to balance it, see how people are looking at it. But those interviews, they're golden. They're golden for you, the news consumer. Because you don't see that on other news agencies. You, you, all you see is partisan stuff. See, that wasn't partisan, it was informational. And both Miller and Schoen are the smartest guys in town. So I hope you enjoyed it. So there was a poll by Scott Rasmussen, 1,200 registered voters, and they were all Democrats, every one. But Rasmussen didn't do anything wrong. He wanted to get a Democratic point of view. And the question was, what are your top concerns in America? You Democrats, all 1,200 of you, put them on up. Donald Trump supporters, 57% top concern. Unvaccinated Americans, 56%. Taliban, 44. China, 44. Russia, 37. Defund the police activists, 24. Illegal immigrants, 20. Socialists, 19. So according to most Democrats in this poll, Trump supporters, not Trump, but if you voted for him, you are the biggest threat to the country. All right. Now, yesterday we ran a clip of President Bush, the younger, speaking in Shankville, Pennsylvania on Saturday and conflating. I hate that word, but that's what it is. Comparing might be better. The jihadist terrorists with right wing terrorists in America domestic terrorists. Now, I got a, a, a good letter. The letter said, wasn't, wasn't Bush saying all domestic terrorism? You might be able to interpret that if you didn't know what President Bush had said in the past, which is that this right-wing terror crew is really a danger. So if you didn't know that, he didn't say the words right-wing in his speech. Bush didn't. Anyway, his speech annoyed Donald Trump, who then tweeted out, quote, so interesting to watch former President Bush, who was responsible for getting us into the quicksand of the Middle East and then not winning. As he lectures us, the terrorists on the right are a bigger problem than those from foreign countries that hate America and that are pouring into our country right now, unquote. So again, Bush didn't say terrorists on the right. That's what Trump took out of it, and I did too, I have to say, 
because of what President Bush had said in the past. Right, let's go to COVID. So the nation's divided, and I believe that's true. So 50% of us say, look, we got to get rid of this COVID, so everybody's got to get vaxxed, and 50% say no, that's unconstitutional imposition. If I don't want to get vaxxed, you can't force me. That's where we are in history, all right? So the mandates are now being challenged in court, as it was easy to predict. Washington State, 90 plaintiffs suing Governor Jay Inslee, a far-left guy, Democrat, including 53 state police employees. Los Angeles, six LAPD employees suing the city for mandates. Charleston, South Carolina, a group of employees that includes several veteran first responders suing the city over its COVID mandates. New York State, health workers in Syracuse and a hospital up there are suing the state. All of this is the state doesn't have a right to mandate vaccinations or even masks. That's what, what it is. And finally, in New York City, the union leaders. Now, this is interesting because the unions are far, far left in New York City. They're suing Mayor de Blasio for his mandates. The far left unions are because the unions don't want that. The, the rank and file. They don't want to be told they can't have a job if they're not going to get vaxxed or go into a restaurant. So you'll have 500 to 1,000 lawsuits by the end of September challenging the Biden and local mandates. So President Biden was in Idaho yesterday, as we uh, told you, and there was a uh, demonstration against him. About 1,000 people showed up, uh, and it was COVID-based. Okay? Uh, then there were the Trump people. Trump won, all of that. Um, but it was primarily COVID-based that they don't like the mandates, but the Trumpsters got out there as well. About 1,000 in um, Idaho. This day in history. Now, here's a very interesting story. So in order to understand your country today, all right, in 2021, you have to understand what happened in the last, you know, what is it, 1776 to today. But very few Americans have any idea what happened because public school doesn't teach it. I used to teach it, and I think I did a pretty darn good job at teaching it. Um, but that was 50 years ago. It was less to teach 50 years ago. But anyway, on this day 120 years ago, President William McKinley died after being shot twice. Did you know that? Okay, so who was McKinley? Well, he was called the Napoleon of Ohio, an Ohio politician, machine Republican, got elected, all right, and he was the 25th president of the United States. He did a pretty good job, all right? There was a big economic uh, problem in the uh, last few years of the 19th century. McKinley got us out of it. And McKinley won the bogus Spanish-American War. I say bogus because it didn't have to be fought, but it was. And we won. No surprise. So anyway, McKinley was riding high, and he was the last general, or, yeah, the last general who served in the Civil War, elected president. A lot of the others who served were Garfield, Grant. Um, they were generals in the Civil War. Anyway, 
McKinley goes up to Buffalo, New York to shake some hands because re-election's coming. And a guy steps out, all right, Leon Kojos, 28 years old, okay, socialist anarchist. Leon's from Detroit. He got fired in a, a labor dispute. He's mad. He goes to Buffalo. He shoots McKinley twice in his chest, once in the sternum, once in the abdomen. And McKinley doesn't die. And he goes to the hospital. And what he said on the way was, please be careful about how you tell my wife, unquote. That was pretty noble of McKinley to say. Anyway, um, on September 14th, he was shot um, on the 6th, all right? So eight days later, he dies from gangrene that the doctors missed in extricating the bullets, or they screwed it up. Anyway, he's dead. So then Teddy Roosevelt, as vice president, takes over. And the rest, as they say, is history. Teddy Roosevelt was a good president. But the lasting impact of that is the Secret Service. So before McKinley was shot, at that time, people could just walk up to presidents all over the place. The Secret Service was there because Grover Cleveland, a past president, was getting death threats. So the Secret Service had a little detail, but they weren't there all the time. If you can believe it, it was like a part-time protection. So after McKinley, and this guy was right on top of McKinley. It wasn't some high-powered rifle someplace. All right. So after that, the Secret Service then, boom, comes in and provides protection, beginning with Teddy Roosevelt. Final thing on this. The assassin, Kojas, got the electric chair one month after McKinley died. Boom. He's fried. And that is this day in history. All right. We got a good mail segment and a final thought. You know, I'm, try- I'm really working hard on these final thoughts. This is about the NFL activism, the left-wing activism that is permeating the National Football League. That's my final thought today. But I'm working hard because I want you to stay the whole show. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, that's the deal. If you like the final thought, you'll stay. All right, we'll be right back with Matt. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's do the mail. Uh, Charles Kohler, Winter Park, Florida. I am no Joe Biden fan, but I believe your criticism, O'Reilly, of the president is unfair when it comes to the vaccine. 
You cannot have it both ways. The president should be pushing hard for all Americans to get vaccinated because, as you know, it's the unvaccinated that is keeping this virus alive and putting the rest of us at risk. I don't disagree with your analysis, and I said as much, Charles. It's the way that Mr. Biden is going about it. He has politicized the entire COVID discussion. He's made it political. Surely you understand that. And that makes the anti-vaxxers more entrenched. You are correct. The more Americans that are vaccinated, the quicker the virus will subside. That's why I did the Denmark story yesterday, because almost all Danes are vaccinated and now they don't have a problem there. This is a magic wand, this vaccination. And Donald Trump knows it. He got it. And then he, of course, had said everybody should get vaccinated. But Biden has made it an authoritarian play thereby ruining any good he might have done. Joan Libra, Gillespie, Illinois. Bill, thank you so much for your comment on having antibodies. I'm presently a stage four metastatic breast cancer patient and in chemo. Joan, I'm going to stop there for a moment. Um, I'm going to say some prayers for you tonight and um, hang tough. All right. Joan continues. I tested positive for COVID last December, had the intestinal version. I've had many tell me I should get vaccinated, but my oncologist says no, as it would have a terrible interaction with the, with the chemo. You're doing exactly what you should do. And I say this to everybody. Have your doctor make the decision and advise you. Now, I hope you've got a doctor letter. Laminate the letter, okay? Just in case you're denied any kind of service anywhere. All right? This is very important. Keep fighting a good fight, Joe. We're with you. Roger Young, Sanford, Florida. I've had two COVID shots and I'm waiting for the booster. The question I have is why not test people who have not had the vaccine for antibodies before demanding they get the shot? You know, there's only so much that public health people can do and there is medical privacy. So that's why you'd have to have another mandate that all medical privacy records go out the window when COVID's involved. So the government's not going to do that. Annette, Bill, all you say is true, but how do you believe that being vaccinated will make any difference when thousands are welcomed here from all over the world through the southern border? Yes, that's true. You're going to have COVID-infected people illegally entering, but their numbers comparatively are small. And the more people that get vaccinated, of course, then that will diminish the threat. Elmer, powerful column, Bill. It should get everybody pause. This is the most serious moment in America in my lifetime. The column is lost, L-O-S-T. It is about Joe Biden. It is posted on BillOReilly.com, and I hope you all read it. Jamie Christoffi, Cypress, California, with a fabulous interview with Stephen Miller. He's brilliant. I wish the entire country could see it. While your interview was robust and compelling, you are such an experienced newscaster. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very flattered, Jamie, and thank you, but experience, another word could be old. <laughs> I've been around a while. Robert Goger, Smithtown, New York, on Long Island. Bill, your opinion on the choice of Bruce Springsteen to sing a 9-11 song, I found to be my opinion. And um, 
I was angry with uh, Bruce for bashing conservatives and supporting left-leaning radical causes, but you are correct, he did good on 9-11. Heidi Buati, Teaneck, New Jersey. Why is Donald Trump's decision to not be on the podium with other presidents at 9-11 Memorial, or was it purely political and he was not invited? I'll find out. I don't know. But I'll find out how that went down. And I'll probably ask him about that in the history show. Good question, Heidi. Andrew Hillia, Jackson, Mississippi. I can't wait to see you pull no punches with interesting questions during the Donald Trump history show. I'm glad you come in, Andrew. Tickets are uh, available. VIP sold out, but good seats are available. There's a rundown. We got Lauderdale at Sunrise, Florida, Orlando, Houston, Dallas. I hope you come. Great Christmas gifts. And uh, move now because we're going to start to market soon. Once we start to market, bang, all the nice suits will be gone. Um, we have a great new bumper sticker for you I want to tell you about. Put it on up there. Regret your 2020 vote yet? There's a little uh, ostrich there. That's actually the eagle. Uh, is, it, is this amazing? Now, <laughs> it'll engender discussion. So you can get them on BillOReilly.com. Um, yeah. <laughs> regret your vote yet. I think it's funny. I did it because I want humor in this. But boy, oh boy, when you start spreading those around. Word of the day, do not be jejune. You might be accused of being jejune, J-E-J-U-N-E, with the regret your 2020 vote yet. All right, back with the final thought in a moment. So final thought of the day, NFL, big numbers for the uh, Tampa game on Thursday. I'm sure they did well on Sunday and Monday Night Football. I'm not sure, but people are watching because they need escape, especially guys escape, watch the National Football League, all of that. But as we know, the league has gone woke and they have all these uh, decals and racism, stop hate, Black Lives Matter, say their stories, whatever, whatever it may be. It's all left wing stuff. So I say, NFL, why can't you have back the blue as an option so the players can select what they want to put on their helmet? Why don't you have back the blue? I know there's hundreds of NFL players who would choose back the blue. You know why they don't do it? Because that would create dissension in the locker room between the left-wing players and the more traditional players. Saw that with Drew Brees last year. Okay, that's why they don't do it. So bottom line, National Football League has chosen to be woke and shut out the traditional point of view. But it's not going to hurt their audience because in the age of COVID and madness on the political front, we all need relief. And that's what pro football provides for everybody except the players who are getting physically decimated every week. All right, that is the final thought of the day. Thank you for watching the No Spin News. We will see you tomorrow.